Thank you. All right. Hello, everybody. What's going on? Hello, hello. Very happy to be here. Um, as was said, my name is Romano Orlando. I'm on part-time staff with Christian Challenge. Um, I work full-time for a biotech company for Amgen, um, but I, I am on part-time staff with Challenge. So um, super happy to be here talking to you guys on Thursday night. So last week, we had Matt and Julie. So for those of you who went to the men's and women's conferences, those were the speakers there. And, um, you know, they just really spoke about their life stories. And I, I thought it was so powerful. I really enjoyed it. But just before that, we were in a series called How to Be an Amazing Friend, which I am actually here tonight to wrap up, to take us home, to give us some final good stuff in this area. So tonight, we're going to talk about one final attribute of an amazing friend so that you can go out and put all that you've learned into practice. Um, but, you know, what's really powerful about this series is that it is addressing a really big issue that Christians face today and have faced since the very first days of following Jesus Christ. So as is the case today, back when the 12 disciples were following Jesus on earth, there were and generally are certain characteristics that like a faith system or a religion is going to place on its followers to help them stand out, you know, to help other people know, hey, hello, like I follow this religion. I'm, I believe this, like just take a look at me, like look at some of the things I have going on. Um, this is my religion, you know, this is what we do. And the issue is that slowly, as the, these 12 disciples, you know, walked with Jesus Christ, like every few months, Jesus would reveal to them that he could care less about most all this stuff. And so let me just humor you with this a little bit. Let me walk you through, you know, kind of some synopsis of some of the Gospels. So one characteristic that a religion basically always puts on its followers is like some type of diet, you know, some type of special food that you're going to eat. So the 12 disciples, they were all Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Mary, Joseph, all of them are Jewish. They ate strict kosher diets like their whole life. There no pork, no, no shellfish, you're washing your hands before you're eating, stuff like that. We see it today. We see generally if you're a Muslim, you're going to be eating halal. If you're a Hindu, Buddhist, you got to be vegetarian, you know, so some type of like special diet. And so Jesus is eating with the 12 disciples one day, and the religious leaders walk in, the Jewish religious leaders. And they're like, Jesus, these guys didn't wash their hands in the proper way, and, and look what they're eating. You know, are, are you seeing this? Jesus, this is blasphemy. Are you kidding me? And Jesus goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Take it easy, all right? It is not what goes into a man that defiles him. It doesn't matter what he eats. It's just going to eat it, and you're just going to pass it on through. But what matters is what comes out of a man, what they say, who they are, how they relate. That's what really defines someone. And so Jesus, like in a snap, declares, all food's clean. No special diet, not when following me. You can eat whatever you want. I don't care. So disciples are like, all right, that's a little unique. Um, but you know what? We still got something going on for us. We're all Jewish. We got this common ethnicity. You saw that back in the day. You see that today. Okay, you're a religion. You're going to probably have this ethnicity or you'll be from this part of the world. And, you know, you kind of match it up there. And then Jesus reveals to the disciples, you know, actually, one of the key reasons I'm here is to open up the availability of the kingdom of God to everybody. I don't care where you're from. It does not matter. We're all on the same playing field. We're all equal. Your ethnicity, that doesn't make you any special. And he would put it in this way. He'd say later on, people from every tribe and every nation are going to follow him. They're going to go on their knees and they're going to worship him. So no ethnicity. You got no ethnicity. So the disciples, you know, they're a little bit, okay, a little strange, but we still got some stuff. We got a language. All right, every good Jew knows that you've got to read the Old Testament in Hebrew. Today, Muslims believe if you don't read the Quran in Arabic, then it's, it's corrupted. So you have a, a specific language that's generally associated with a religion. That's like their language, their pure language. And then Jesus would add on. He would say, you know what? Not just every nation, not just every tribe, but every tongue also. So you're going to worship me in your common language. There is no special language I love all languages, and everyone is going to worship me in the common, the fancy, does not matter, your language, that's not what's going to set you apart. So disciples are like, all right, all right, all right. We got no diet, 
We got no ethnicity. We got no language. We got something left, our dress. We're Jewish. We know if you're kind of into it, you're going to wear a yarmulke. You're a little bit more into it. You're going to wear the tassels. You're like really into it. You'll have that kind of full like suit and the top hat and like all that stuff going on. You know, that's when you know you're like really into it. Um, You see it again today. If you're a Muslim woman, you're kind of into it. You're going to wear the hijab. You're like really into it. You're going to wear the burqa. If you're a man, you have the kind of hat that you're going to wear. You're a Buddhist. You're going to wear like really into it, like the orange saffron robe. So you see it, right? You see it today. You saw it back then, like, you can have, like, this special dress. And that's how I'm going to know, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus, on the Sermon of the Mount, is like, hey, a lot of people in the world worry about what they're going to wear. They're really into that. But with my followers, you're not going to worry about that. Because you know what? No matter how hard you try, you're not even going to be as dressed as well as those lilies growing just randomly out in the field. So don't even worry about that. Your heavenly father knows you need clothes and he's going to take care of you. So it's not going to be clothes. You're going to have no special clothes as my followers. And the 12 disciples, guys, to the ancient mind, this wasn't just like unheard of. This was stupid. It's like, Jesus, hello. You know, wake up. Like you're starting a religion. This is religion we're talking about. Okay. We have no diet, no language, no ethnicity, you know, come on, no special dress, we're going to fail. All right, Peter, pack up your bags, we're going home. John, pull up the car, we're leaving. You know, the disciples, they're like, they know it's not going to work out, right? Jesus is doing it all wrong. But then right before, right before Jesus is about to die, like very, very recently before, he, you know, he's like, you know what? I have been thinking about this. And actually, there is going to be something. There is going to be a Christian characteristic, a follower of Christ, a characteristic. And the disciples are like, finally, come on, tell us, what is it? He's like, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Gosh, you sure you want to know? We have to know, God, come on. All right. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. I'm going to tell you, you ready for it? Yes, I'm ready for it. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And, no, that's it. If you have love for one another, that's your special diet, that's your special ethnicity, you want a special language, you want a special dress, that's it. It's love. That's what's going to separate my followers from the rest of the world is how they love one another. And, you know, guys, what have we been talking about in this series since the start of the semester, other than how to put this quote of Jesus Christ into practice, you know, very practically in our friendships. How to show the world, if you want to show the world, you know, hello, hello, I follow Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of my life. You want to know how? You want to know what my marker is? Look at my friendships. Take a look at how I love my friends and how they love me, and then you'll know, right? Like as Jeremy spoke on, I love my friends so much that I'm willing to risk the relationship with them and correct them. If, you know, I see them going on a path that's like really bad for them, I love them that much. And as Aaron spoke on, you know, I love my friends so much, I'm willing to be raw, authentic, doesn't have to be dressed up and polished up like all the time. I'm willing to be candid with my friends. Like that's how much I love them. And then as Eric spoke on, you know, it is a broken world. It's full of sin, and it's, if I have friends, it's only a matter of time until I hurt them or they hurt me. So I love my friends so much that I'm willing to forgive them, and I'm also willing to accept their forgiveness, you know, when they hurt me. So that's the backdrop of everything we're doing here, um, and that's the backdrop of tonight's final attribute of being an amazing friend. Drum roll. Defer before you prefer. All right? This is what's going to wrap us home Uh, Take us home, wrap us up, you know, with this. So this is an awesome quality of a close friend, you guys. It is a key way to make those around you feel very loved and very important. And laying the foundation for this principle are two key verses we're going to look at. Philippians 2.4 and 1 Corinthians 13.4-5. The former which reads, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
So the Bible is a, is a very realistic book. And what Paul, the author of the Philippians who wrote this verse, is saying is, hey, listen, it is a given, as it should be, that we're looking after our own interests, the things that we're pursuing. And interests here really meaning like goals, objectives, desires, you know, the things that we're into. And so he's like, hey, keep doing that. Don't stop pursuing those things. But as you're doing that, do this too, which is um, care really deeply about the interests, the goals, objectives of the people around you, of your friends. And secondly, um, the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 is very famous. It's known as the love chapter. It's often read at weddings. And it goes line after line, love is this, love is this, love is this, love is not this, love is this. And we get to the fourth verse, which reads, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. And here's the kicker for us tonight. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. That's really the core of tonight's attribute. It does not insist on its own way. And it's deep within us to want our own way. Is anyone around, little kids at all, throughout the week? Maybe a church, anything? You ever like see them around kind of-ish a bit? Just watch. Just take a look. When they ask their parents for something and then the parents say, no. The kid's like, no. What do you mean no? I want it. Give it to me. Well, I'm freaking out, you know. They just start going crazy, right? That's, that's how we start. We were all like that. I was like that. Maybe not so much. I was perfect probably, but no, I'm kidding. Um, I was like that. You know, we're all like that. That's how we start. We actually have to be trained out of that as we follow Christ. Um, so, you know, that is very hard. That in and of itself is super difficult. But the second part of this verse, that last phrase right there, is almost just as hard. It's step two. So step one is we don't insist on our own way. But step two is we don't get irritable or resentful about it when we do relent, when we do give someone else their own way. So we've all been there, right? It's like, okay, it'll be your way this time, but I'm going to make it as hard as possible for you while it's your way. And so, okay, you chose the restaurant. Okay, yeah, no problem. I'm easy going. I'm relaxed. Take it easy. No, no problem. Your restaurant, you choose. I'm your buddy. Go ahead. You get to choose the restaurant. As soon as you walk in, lighting sucks smells bad in here. One I chose, smells great. Wouldn't want that, right? You eat the food, you eat the food, uh, mediocre food, food sucks, let's get out of here, right? A uh, place I would have chosen, food is great, you know? And so you just get irritable. You just get, ugh, I just don't like it. And you start making comments and you're like, oh, well, if we just did what I did, if we just did what I did, just kind of get irritable about it. And then there's the second temptation, which is resentful. So again, maybe you do relent. Maybe you kind of give it to some other person's preference. Um, and you say, yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm easy going. I'm easy going. Take it easy. You know, what do you want? We're going to go where you want. And then you're super chill. But on the inside, what are you saying? I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. And you know that you are holding resentment because you did not get your way. And the next time, oh, you better believe it. It's going to be your way, right? It's going to be my way. That's what I want. So we can do this on the outside, but it doesn't always mean we're doing it on the inside, right? And then just the concept of deferring itself. We might not be as familiar with it. The definition of deferring is to submit humbly to a person or a person's wishes or qualities. So to defer is saying, I'm going to submit whatever it is I have. Maybe I have an opinion. Maybe I have a desire, maybe a preference and I'm going to place it under someone else's preference and someone else's opinion. So when you defer to someone, when you lower the importance of a preference you have um, to a need or desire that someone else has, what you are doing is you're communicating to that person something very impactful. You're saying this, you are extremely valuable to me. You matter to me. You are important. In fact, you are so valuable to me that I'm not going to insist on my own way all the time, but I'll happily, I'll joyfully, I will gladly go with what you want to do on the outside and on the inside um, because you just matter that much to me. You're just so valuable to me. So here's a good working definition of defer before you prefer. Choosing to place your preferences under your friend's interests and goals 
because of how much they matter to you. They just, they just matter to you so much. They're just so important to you that it's not always your preference. That's got to be done. But it's also about theirs. And you meet them in that preference. And you choose to place yours under theirs. And remember, it's all in the backdrop of that claim of Jesus Christ. This is how the world is going to know that you follow me if you love one another. You cannot imagine how loved this type of stuff makes people feel. So let's break it down. We're going to dress this up in some blue jeans. No bunching. Gentlemen, <laughs> slim fit, all right? None of this straight stuff, okay? We're going to dress this up in blue jeans. That's from the Men's Advance. We did a little fashion thing, all right? Um, <laughs> we're going to dress this up in blue jeans. We're going to see how do we put this to work. So one of the key ways you have the opportunity to defer as a to defer as a friend is when it comes to the goals of your friends and specifically how you can help your friends achieve their goals. To do this, you must know the answer to such questions as, what are the objectives of my friends? Where are they going? What are they trying to achieve in their lives? Which then opens the door for you to think about, how can I be a part of helping them achieve these objectives? How can I be a part of helping them get to where they're trying to go? It's very easy to spend all of our time in college building our own resumes, focused on our own development, to the point where it might even feel strange to give it some thought. How can I help those around me achieve and develop their goals? But there is no way to be an amazing friend. There is no way to communicate to your friends that you care about them so much without practically being a part of their successes. As followers of Christ, one type of goal you may find your friends having are spiritual in nature. Maybe they want to get better acquainted with God's word. And so what you can do is you carve out time in your week, you defer time in your week to help your friend realize that goal. A great example of this, I got permission to say this, is Jason Chillen is a guy in our life group, and he had expressed in our group a desire to get to know the word of God better. And Christopher Zock stepped up and said, okay, let's link up at this time, at this place, in, for one hour every week, and we're going to read through the Gospel of John. And so what Chris is doing is he's deferring his time, no matter what may be his preference to use that time, for using that hour to help Jason Chillen develop his goal of spiritual growth. And really, the choice in general to join something like ministry team or lead a small group at church later on down the road, is a lifestyle of deferring your time to the spiritual development of others. Those on ministry team, some people here, um, they're regular students who also have majors, who also have to study, who also need internships, and all that jazz, but they have chosen to defer time each week, each month, to help their friends at USC realize and achieve their spiritual goals. May their tribe increase. Nicely done. Another type of goal um, could be really practical. Something just like moving. I attend um, Church in the Valley. I attend CIV, a church which I am convinced is a low-grade moving company that also holds worship services on Sunday morning. <laughs> All right? We have moved a lot of people. And on Saturday, December 2nd, many of us in this room, actually, and from that church, help Jeremy, who's right there, and his family moved from his home in Rosemead to another in Monterey Park. I will go out on a limb to say it's not really anyone's preference to spend a Saturday morning picking up heavy boxes, sweating, loading a U-Haul. But what do we do? We deferred our preference. We deferred it. We placed it under the practical goal of getting Jeremy into that new home, getting his family into that new home. And why would we do that? Why would someone do such a thing as that? Well, because, man, Jeremy matters a lot to us. He matters a lot to me. And helping him achieve his goal of moving into that new house is just more important. It's just that valuable to us. Um, and no matter what our preference may be on a Saturday morning, that was just more important. And so we were there. This can also look financial. Like when you give a really generous wedding gift to a friend at a, at a time of need in their life, um, also, maybe when they have a child. That's another time of need. Because why? Because they just matter so much to you. I got to give you a generous gift. You're just that important. I just can't not do it. 
That is deferring your money, whatever your preference may be in terms of how to spend it on yourself for the good of a friend. There's no, I don't know if you guys ever felt this, but there's no worse feeling in my opinion than realizing, you know, you aren't really worth like five or 10 bucks from one of your friends, right? It's like they do one thing for you and they're like, oh, don't worry, I'll Venmo request you in nine seconds. Don't worry, it's coming your way, you know? And you're like, okay, thank you for doing something for me uh, and then me having to pay for it, right? So, um, but when your friend does show you that you really are worth their money, like you're worth a really generous gift, a really generous birthday gift, you're worth in a time of need, you know, some money, you just feel so valuable. You just know how valuable you are to that friend. You know that they really care about you. So other goals, these, these can also be like vocational, academic, professional, those types of goals. So let's say you're really good at a subject. You can help defer your knowledge in that subject, defer that skill by serving your friends and classmates. Um, you're gonna help them do better in that class by hosting study sessions, sharing your notes. Even if at USC, this is real, right? Your preference might be to have a higher grade because if your friends don't do as good, that curve is gonna go up. You gotta choose, right? And even though your preference is probably, I wanna get as high of a grade as possible, I want my GPA to be as high as possible, what do you do? You defer it. You put it under. You put it under the goal of your friends also doing well in that class. Like I said, guys, you cannot imagine how loved this makes people feel, the people in your life around you. In the life of Jesus Christ, he made the decision to pivot and defer to the goals of others all the time with an emotional example, one of my favorite biblical stories, recorded in Luke, 8, Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48. By this point, Jesus is fairly well-known in the land as a healer. And, quote, There came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and just touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So let's actually watch this. I think we have this here on the next slide. Let's see what we got. I'll step over here. That's the woman. Everybody pressing in. He's on his way to Jairus' house. That's Jairus. It's just a fringe. One touch. One thread. One thread. Just, just the edge. Only a thread. You! I know you. Get away from him. Stop it, please. Rabbi Yusuf! Rabbi Yusuf! This woman bleeds. She is unclean. We removed her. Please, please. I, I promise I won't touch him. I, I just need oh, woman, to... please. We can help you, but not now. Sorry. Try tomorrow. No, no, please, just a moment. Just Skype. 
Everybody back. back, back. I asked the question. Who touched me? Master, the crowds are pressing in all around you like this, and you're asking who touched you? They all have. Someone touched me. I felt that power went out of me. Whoever touched me, come forward, teacher. It was me. Just the fringe of your garment, only the edge, I promise. You are not unclean. Why my garment? I'm sorry. I know I should have asked. But if, if you touched me, it would make you ritually unclean according to the law. I was sick. I was sick for 12 years. I bled and, and, and no one could stop it. But, but I believed if I could just touch a piece of your garment. <laughs> I was right. All right, we can pause it right there. <laughs> so powerful, right? Like, that, that actually happened. That was a real woman. Jesus was really there. The crowd's really pressing in on him. And where was Jesus on the way to? He was on the way to Jairus' house. To do what? To heal his daughter. So Jesus, on the way to heal one woman, he knows if he goes that route, he's the God of the universe. He knows if he goes that route at that time during that day that that woman would be there and find him. And he let that power go out of him. On the way to heal someone, he defers that mission and pauses, whoa, 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 who touched me? And he heals another woman. That's our God. That's real. That's who he is. That's what he does. Uh, may we go and do likewise. But here's the hard part about all of this, and it's something I totally understand. If I defer some of my resources in college, my time, my money, my skills and classes to help my friends achieve their goals, what about me? Who's going to take care of me? What about my goals? Well, in short, my friends, it's the very person who exhorts you to look after others people, other people's goals. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. God provides support for what he seeks, provision for his promises, ability for what he asks. When God commands you to do something, which here is to look, look after not only your own goals, but also the goals of your friends, he will provide for you as you do that. But it requires something that's not that easy. Faith. Faith that he'll come through on his provision after we come through for our friends. Remember, God's will, God's bill, and he will pay it. He's just waiting for someone to do it and take him up on what he's offering. All right, so the second manner in which we have the opportunity to defer before you prefer is not only in regard to the goals, the objectives of your friends, but also the interests of your friends. And in my opinion, this is really where the chili hits the cheese because we, we live in a, it's, it's critical, that's it, it's critical. Because we live in a modern world that makes so much of its economy by tailoring to whatever you want, okay? So just think of this, right? You leave challenge. All right, what do you want to eat tonight? Do you want Indian? Do you want Mexican? Do you want Italian? Do you want American? Do you want Guatemalan? Mac you, El Salvadorian? I already said Indian. What, uh, what do you want, okay? Now choose your kind of cuisine category, okay? Now pick your dish. What do you want? 
you want a little extra onions, extra cheese, avocado, no avocado? Do you want this off? Do you want almond milk, soy milk, regular milk? What do you want? Do you want it delivered to you? No? Okay, you want to pick it up? No? Okay, you want to eat it in here? We'll take care of you. Oh, you don't? Okay, uh, delivered? Okay, you want it delivered? Do you want it through Grubhub? Do you want it through DoorDash? Do you want it through Uber Eats? How do you want it? Oh, no problem. No, we'll bring it right to your door. Oh, you didn't like it? Oh, 100% refund. Okay, no problem. <laughs> we'll give you all your money back. I know you ate the whole thing, but we'll give you all your money back, right? So it's just our modern world, right? It's good. It's not bad, but we just live in a modern world that just tailors to anything you want. That's how a lot of companies are making money. It's just whatever you want, and if you don't like it, even after that, full refund. Paul, the Christian responsible for writing the vast majority of the New Testament, was a master at deferring his interests to the interests of others. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, he wrote, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things. To all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. You know what the key phrase is here that Paul uses over and over? I became. I became as a Jew. I became as one under the law. I became as one outside the law. I became weak. I've become all things. Now, what determined what or who Paul would become? Well, it was whoever the people he was with needed him to become so that they could connect with, relate with, and identify with him to the end that they would ultimately understand who God is. You see, Paul was saying, I'll do whatever it takes to show people, people of all different persuasions and backgrounds, that God loves them. Jews have a key interest in upholding the Jewish law, so I will uphold that law when I'm around them. Why? Because it matters to them. Others are put off by that degree of rule following, so Paul takes out some pork chops and some shellfish and just chows down without washing his hands to show them that God actually does not require adherence to Jewish law anymore. You know what Paul was? It's a quality that is unfortunately kind of in steep decline. He was flexible. He had some wiggle room. It wasn't all about him and who he wanted to be, but it was about deferring to be who the people he was needed him to be. I've taken one mission trip in my life to Central Asia, and luckily I felt very comfortable over there. Honestly, it was like I was with a bunch of Italians. I'm, a, I'm Italian. Immigrant. They family came over in the 60s um, who drink tea instead of espresso. And it all just felt very natural. There was a lot of beards, a lot of tan skin, not a lot of people working. Okay, that's how Italy is too. All right. So it felt very natural. I really liked my time over there. Um, and our whole team could connect with people on so many things, on tea, on chess, on spike ball cultural foods, hanging out at the seaside, you know, all sorts of things. But there was, there was one student there whom I loved, actually, and grew really close with, who very hourly expressed that he couldn't wait to get out of there. He kind of just wanted to go home. And when I asked him why, he started talking about, you know, I really only care about two things. I care about the gospel, and I care about engineering. And that's, that's all I like to connect with people on. That's kind of it, you know. Well, the issue is that in the area of Central Asia we are in, like 1% of the population is Christian. So 99% don't want to really hear about the gospel all that much. And then how, much, how many of those 1% were engineers? Maybe like 15, maybe 10, maybe 20, something like that, out of 85 million people. So it was tough. It was tough for him. It was, but we're called. We're called to defer to the interests of those around us. Stretch our minds a little bit as followers of Christ. Be a little open-minded. Step into the shoes of the people around us. Defer to their interests, because why? Why would you do that? Because they just matter that much to you. You just care about them a lot, and you want to identify with them, and you want them to understand, you know, who God is. 
So, okay, so let's, let's keep playing this out. So let's see, what's the next slide right here? That's us ordering a jack-in-the-box at 2 a.m. Okay, next slide. That's not again there. Okay, so this is what I want to show you. Um, this is a trip to Yuma, Arizona. So all the way on the left here, that's Audrey. Some of you may know her. She used to lead worship right up here with Challenge. That's her husband, Jared. It's my wife, Sam. That's me. And that's Madeline and Josh, who you guys know too, right? They're also on part-time staff. And then to the right, that's just the girls. So what, what do you guys notice about these photos? What kind of shirts are we wearing? We are wearing Coke shirts, all right? We got a lot of Coca-Cola going on in that trip to Yuma, Arizona, all right? I am wearing a Coke shirt. Sam is wearing a Dasani shirt. That's Coke's water. Um, Madeline's wearing a Diet Coke. Audrey's got a Coke shirt on. Jared's got a Coke shirt under that jacket. It's all coked out, right? We got a lot of Coke on this trip, okay? <laughs> we had a great time, all right? Um, so, so we're going to Yuma, Arizona, and even, you know, guys, when we, when we pulled up to, so we, it's because this guy here, Jared, the second guy to the left, he's from Yuma. He's from Yuma, and, uh, and when we went there, we stayed at his parents' house. There's Airbnb, but we were over at the house all the time, and we pull up, and there's a bright red pickup truck right in front of the house with just Coca-Cola on it. So the, even the car is Coca-Cola. Okay, then we get in the house, Coca-Cola mini fridges, Coca-Cola like little clocks, um, Coca-Cola memorabilia, Cokes everywhere. We drank a lot of Coke and stuff. Um, so there's just Coca-Cola all over the place, all right? And here's the issue. My wife, Samantha, right here, the third one from the left, had her first sip of soda, any kind of soda, when she was 13 years old. So like, kind of like in middle school, all right? And she took one sip, oh, gross. That sucked, right? She hated it. Didn't like the sweetness, didn't like the carbonation. I am married to her. I have never seen her ever order a soda anywhere. Drink one, we have no soda in our house, like nothing, right? Never seen her drink a soda. So as, you know, Jared's dad has given me the Coke shirt, and now I also have like Coke silverware to take home and there's the Coke car and I have a Coke bag now that I have. I'm starting to realize, oh gosh, Sam hates Coke. She really dislikes like soda, like in general. She never drinks it. And we didn't get to talk about it. I didn't like mention anything beforehand, but I just kind of realized it when we were on that trip. And then that Saturday, we were there Friday to Sunday, that Saturday evening, um, Jared's dad made the best carne asada I've ever had. 10 out of 10. It was unbelievable. Pollo asada, wonderful, all right? Um, so we're eating the asada, and then they start talking about drinks. What do you want to drink? Like, okay, Coke, 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 Pepsi, get out. No, I'm kidding. Okay. No one wanted Pepsi. Coke, Coke, Coke. And then it gets to Sam. It's like, what's Sam going to do? And she goes, give me a can of Coke. And this girl here, all the way on the left, Audrey, you should have, her eyes were like, <laughs> what? Even me, I'm like, I'm married to you. What? What are you getting a can of Coke for? I've never seen her ever do that. And I was like taken aback by that. Audrey even made a comment like, Sam Orlando is getting a Coke? Like, what the heck? What is going on here? And, you know, we spoke about it later and like, you know, did Sam all of a sudden see the Coke car and stuff and like, get this like new love for Coke, kind of discover, oh, I didn't know, but I loved it all along, right? No, that didn't happen. Did her taste buds change? No, it didn't happen. Did Coke change? Nope, didn't happen. So why, why would she do that? Why would she say, give me that can of Coke and kind of drink it and, you know, kind of enjoy it maybe even a little bit too? Like, why, why would she do that? It's because these people in this photo love it. They love it. It's because the reason why there's so much Coke stuff is Jared's dad is like the Coke man in town. Like he supplies all the restaurants <laughs> with Coca-Cola, okay? Maybe I should have led with that actually as well too, right? That's why. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> they love it, but he also works for Coca-Cola, so that's part that's not that big a deal, but it's part <laughs> um, his dad works for Coke, that's where he got all this Coke stuff. And you know. Sam, why would Sam do that? It's because she loves these people, because she loves Jared's parents. She, I'm, I'm in your home. You're not in my home. I'm in your home. So what you love, I love. You love Coke, give me that can of Coke. I'll, I'll knock it back. Give me two. 
right? Sam partook. I was so, I spoke to her after. I was like, that was like amazing. Like I was so happy because I know what that takes for her. I know it, right? But she did it. She had that can of Coke. She was not going to be the wet blanket on the trip, but just I'm here, right? Let's partake. So I was so happy with that. I was so proud. And that's, that's what it's like. That's what it means to defer to the interests of someone else. And even Yuma, right? Like, I'm, I'm from Connecticut. I could go to Yuma and be like, oh, trees are nice. Yeah, they're almost as good as Connecticut. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah. Oh, food? Yeah, almost as good as L.A. Yeah, I live in L.A. Yeah, almost as good. No, when I was in Yuma, you know where my favorite place to ever go is when I was in Yuma? Yuma. I'm there, man. I'm fully there. And so are all of us. We're checking out so much stuff. And Josh and Madeline did that, like, so much, too. Um, when you're there, when you're with people, you defer. You defer to them. That's what Paul is talking about. I have become, I will become, I am becoming who the people around me need me to be. Why? Because they matter that much to me. That's why. Now, I, I know and I understand some of you may think Romano. Or if I want to use your official name, Papa Romano. All right? <laughs> Come here. All right? Isn't that disingenuous? Like, if I'm not interested in Coke, why should I drink it when those around me care about it if I don't like it? Or if I don't care about Yuma, should I pretend to care about Yuma when I really don't care about Yuma? Or, you know, if I don't like, let's say, Marvel movies and I'm connecting with someone who loves Marvel movies, should I pretend to love Marvel movies? Say, oh, yeah, I love Marvel movies, I promise. Um, well, I understand. I understand that question. But here's the thing. When I'm going to Yuma and I'm saying... I love Yuma, I'm not lying. And when Sam says, give me that Coke and, and enjoys it and drinks it, she's not lying. She's not being disingenuous. When people do this, like when followers of Christ do this, when Paul did this, when I've done this, it really is a genuine thing. Why is that? Well, what happens when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ is the Spirit of God enters them on that very day. And one of the things that that spirit will do to you is develop an unquenchable love for the people in your life, for your friends. And so, friends, I, found my, I find myself, even today, not just Yuma and not just Coke, interested in and loving all kinds of things. And is it because I naturally gravitate towards them? Is it because it's my natural preference? No, not all the time. But when I love people who love those things, I start to see in myself, I'm starting to love that thing too. And you're asking questions and you're engaging on it and you're just curious to know about it. It's, it's, it's crossing the bridge. It's connecting with people. It's not always forcing them to come to you with what you want to do. Like I said, I really do love Yuma. I really do. Why? Because that's the hometown of one of my best friends. I love him so much, man, and he loves that place I love it too. It's so cool there. Sam may not have a natural bent towards Coke, but when she's in the house of people who she loves, and they are all people who love Coke, like I say, you better pass her a can because she loves it too. That's deciding to become all things to all people. And that's what the Spirit of God will do in your life when you come to faith in Christ as this love for the people around you starts to build. Okay, so let's look at this in the life of Jesus Christ. Um, so while we're pulling up some of the next verses here, let's look at some of these verses. I'm just going to read straight through them. Don't pay as much attention into the content of the actual story, um, but just kind of a different way to approach the Gospels is look at the context of the stories. What is going on? What's kind of the overall environment? Not as much the themes Jesus is teaching, but just sort of what's the vibe? What's the overall environment? What's the vibe? Um, so I'll just read this right from here. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, and pay attention to the orange, right? While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
Let's go to the next. This is a little bit later on. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. We have one more, I think. I know it's long. Stay with me. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were going together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. So paying attention to what was written in orange there, just looking at the environment, kind of the overall vibe there, do you notice what is always around with these 12 disciples? Fish, boats, water, nets, seaside, shores, all sort of land, boat, beachy stuff. Why? Because Jesus was with fishermen. Many of the 12 disciples were fishermen. Like Paul, Jesus knew that if he was going to reach fishermen and explain to them who God is in a way that they could understand, he was going to have to act like a fisherman, think like a fisherman, and do things in the same context and environment that fishermen do them in. He deferred to what they were interested in. And why? Why would he do that? Why would Jesus do that with the 12 disciples? Because he loved them. They mattered that much to him and ultimately loves you and loves us. Because it's only because these 12 men got the picture that we're even here today in Los Angeles all these thousands of years later. So thank God that he loved them that much, right? Lastly here, everyone, we are going to round this whole thing out by talking about deferring the greatest resource that God has given you, your life. A week or two ago, we had such a special announcement at Christian Challenge. Neil Walker is going to speak at spring break. Woo! This is amazing. Amazing news. Neil, is the, he's the founder of Christian Challenge. He's touched so many of our lives in so many ways. And so rightfully so, you know, we hear, man, Neil's going to be speaking at Christian Challenge. We yell, we whoop, we holler, we're excited. We're pumped that he's going to be there at spring break. But here's the thing. Next year, I would wager, 
that if Neil were to speak at spring break, if we were to announce that, there would be cheering, but it'd be a little quieter. And then the year after that, there'd be yelling and there'll be excitement, but a little bit quieter. And the next year, a little quieter. And the next year, a little quieter. Until in about four or five years from now, I wouldn't be surprised if more students in Christian Challenge have never met him than had met him, even maybe heard of him all that much. Yet he's the man who moved his wife and young family, left a familiar place where he grew up to move to Los Angeles and start the ministry, Christian Challenge, of, of which we're all a part. And he spent 35 years building this ministry, 35 years driving back and forth between campus and Monterey Park, vast majority of the time with very little salary, very little accolades or fanfare, and stayed firm throughout five USC presidents, multiple USC scandals, and multiple staff turnovers from a lot of the other groups on campus. But he stayed firm. He did all that. He did all of that for 35 years, really, for you. Really, for me. For us. And even for those future generations who will be blessed by this ministry, continuing to do its thing, but who will never meet him and probably will never even hear of him all that much. As he mentioned to me, we got breakfast a couple weeks ago, as he said this, one generation plants the tree, the next enjoys the shade. And Neil planted the tree with his life so we can enjoy the shade and future people can enjoy the shade. And so even bigger than deferring your time and your resources to help your friends achieve their goals, and even bigger than deferring your preferences to show a deep care and interest in the things that your friends are interested in, you have the opportunity before you to defer your life, to defer your life itself, to give it up, really, for Jesus Christ, for future friends and generations who may not even know you. You don't even know them yet. They're not even your friends yet. And live your life in a manner with that deferment at the helm, even though it likely would make little sense to most of the people around you. But God knows. God understands. For Neil, that looked like moving from Oklahoma to Los Angeles to start a college ministry at USC. It may look like all sorts of things for you. But don't get caught up in the wind of this school, the fleeting just subtle pressure that I know. I was here for four years. I know it. That subtle pressure that tries so hard to get you to just be all about you and the safe life you can build and just gather points for your resume and seek out all sorts of things to achieve for yourself. Just think about it. Just resist that a little bit. Think about deferring your life for Jesus Christ and for future friends you do not even yet know. In the words of Jesus Christ, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Like 2 Chronicles 16, 9 states, God is searching all over the world for someone, anyone, willing to defer their life, no matter their preference, because of how much love they have for their friends. The ones they currently have and are around them, and like Neil with us, some of you, the friends that you may never meet. All right? Sound good? Think you have what it takes now out of these sessions to be an amazing friend? Well, that's all we have, so let's pray. <laughs>